Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Well, our praise team is going to be back up in just a moment and lead us uh, in another time of worship. But I want to say some things to really get us ready for that. Uh, I love the way Danielle uh, brought this kind of happiness and just a feel-good spirit with her, and I love the things she said about prayer. And so I want to offer a little encouraging reading myself, uh, something to kind of lift you up and and give you a, a great day. The God who holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath toward you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful, venomous serpent is in ours. The bow of God's wrath is bent, and the arrow made ready on the string, and justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow, and it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. Have a wonderful day. Aren't you ready now? Ooh, that is tough to handle, isn't it? Man, uh, I, you know, I, I, I almost wanted to abandon that midway through reading it. That is an excerpt from Jonathan Edwards' sermon uh, that was preached in the mid-1700s called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, um, appropriately named, don't you think? And, uh, and actually, uh, that, that sermon was instrumental in launching what is called the Great Awakening when tens of thousands of people uh, in the colonies at that time and then in England and Wales and other places turned to God. And what Jonathan Edwards was trying to do was simply get people to kind of wake up and to, to accept God and to accept Jesus as their Savior. And it was, as I said, very effective in his day. Uh, but it's kind of difficult for us to hear. Uh, our sensibilities don't quite mesh with some of those in that particular era, and it's uh, just a hard thing. But um, it, it may be a bit shocking to us, but believe it or not, and stay with me on this, it actually has some merit. Um, and actually has some truth woven into it because fear is kind of a dominant theme in the Bible. And usually you will hear fear referred to in one of two ways, either in this sense, in the sense of, of, um, of dread, of, of, of uh, fear in the sense of dread because we are out of our element. Uh, you know, we, we see God and we see the distance between us and God, and we know that we don't belong. Heaven and earth have met, and it just kind of blows our circuits. And you, you see that a lot in Scripture. You see it, for example, when, when humans would encounter angels, not these kind of just you know, little angelic uh, cherubs with you know, bows and uh, wings and that sort of thing, but these fearsome warriors of God. Daniel tells of a time when he met, I believe it was Gabriel, and... But at that encounter, he just passed out. 
And he said he, he lay sick for several days before he could just continue on with, with what he was doing. Um, and again, this is kind of doesn't sound quite right to us, but stay with me on this. Fear in the sense of dread is actually an appropriate and at times natural response to God. Think of Mount Sinai, for example. You know, God's going to give the Ten Commandments and other laws, and the people gather at the base of Mount Sinai, and then suddenly there's this, this huge billow of smoke, and there's fire, and the voice of God trumpets, and the mountain shakes, and the people are absolutely terrified. And they say, get us out of here. Moses, we can't, we can't handle this. We want you to go and speak to God and, and tell us what, what's happened. So, so that's... Um, th there is this sense of dread that you encounter in, in Scripture. And I think that's what Edwards was getting at in his sermon. It's what the Hebrew writer was talking about when he said, it is a, a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. They both, though, were really talking in the context of people who didn't have a Savior. People who had walked away from God. And so, yeah, it's a, it, is a, it is a dreadful thing. It is, it is fearful to think of kind of being face-to-face -face with God just upon my own merit. So there's fear in the sense of dread. But the good news is there is also fear in the sense of awe and wonder because, yeah, there is this God who is so much holier than we are. We're, we're nothing compared to Him, but that God has invited us to live in His favor. That, that God has invited us into a relationship with Him. And so you see fear used in this sense in the Bible. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? Well, that's a, that's a good question. He requires this, only that you fear the Lord your God. That's what God wants, is that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases Him and serve Him with all your heart and soul. So fear will make a very positive contribution to our lives if it's if it's kind of framed in the right way you see similar language in the psalms uh, psalm 111 verse 10 fear of the lord is the foundation of true wisdom uh, it also comes up in proverbs the same idea fear of the lord leads to life bringing security and protection from harm so you you hear fear being used here not in the sense of i'm terrified and i've I've got to, to get away from God. I've got to escape. But rather, it is this sense of awe that is prompted by this otherness of God. This, this, this otherness, He is so much unlike us, and that leads to this, this proper respect for God. Well, not surprisingly, we've been talking about Jeremiah. The people in his day lost that. They lost both kinds of fear. They, they just didn't really have much of an awareness of God's majesty at all passage in, uh, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 5 where uh, God tells Jeremiah, make this announcement to Israel and say this to Judah. Listen, you foolish and senseless people with eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear. So he's, he's kind of fed up at this point. Um, Have you no respect for me? Why don't you tremble in my presence? And remember one of the things that we saw they had done a few weeks ago was they had built idols to false gods right in the temple of God. And that in their day, the temple was where God was most present. That's where they viewed the presence of God being was in the temple. And they'd actually had gone and built an idol uh, inside the temple. And so God says, how could you do that? Do you, do you, have you no respect of me? 
Why don't you tremble in my presence rather than building an idol? I, the Lord, define the ocean's sandy shoreline as an everlasting boundary that the waters cannot cross. The waters may toss and roar, but they can never pass the boundaries I set. God's saying, I have control over creation, but my people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned away and abandoned me. They do not say from the heart, let us live in awe of the Lord our God. For he gives us rain each spring and fall, assuring us of a harvest when the time is right. Your wickedness has deprived you of these wonderful blessings. Your sin has robbed you of all these good things. I love what he said in the verse prior to that. They do not say from the heart, let us live in awe of the Lord our God. Well, what was supposed to prompt that? It was this awareness that God reigns over creation and that God provides rain. And this awesome God, this incredible God, wants to live in relationship with us. And they, they miss that. And um, not surprisingly, that shows up in the behavior that we've seen over the past few weeks. So we're these days, one of the reasons we're studying Jeremiah is we are trying to learn how we can live life at its best. How can we go through this life and run with the horses, not be mired down by the mediocrities of, of this life? And I think one of the lessons we see from this particular context is that life at its best is lived in awe of God. Life at its best is that when within us, there is this sense of awe. This, this awareness that we realize the power and the splendor and the majesty of God. And wow, we just, we, you know, we, those, our circuits are kind of blown by that a little bit when we think of how worthy we are to live in Him. But then the other kind of awe, when we realize how much this all-powerful God has very lovingly invited us into His presence. He, he has adopted us as His sons and daughters. And I think we live life at its best when we can keep these two perspectives in balance. Much the same way, I think, that a, a child will be blessed if that child will have the proper respect for a parent that kind of embraces both of these. If you're a parent, do you want your children to fear you? Well, at times, yes, you know, especially when they're younger. If, if it is a fear of punishment, that will keep them from running into the street, then that fear is serving a good purpose. But what a sad thing it would be if the relationship never grew beyond that. If, if you know, all their lives, our, our kids simply did what we wanted them to do, and that was kind of the extent of the relationship, and the reason they did that was the fear of being punished. And, and I think God feels the same way. Um, we, we do benefit at times from having this sense of of, of dread, really. I, I hate using that word, but fear in that sense of, of God. Uh, and honestly, I, I think that maybe that's something that our world could use at times, in some measure. I remember hearing a preacher several years ago say that we needed to, um, we needed to get away from the idea of God as buddy. And I really didn't agree with him then, in, in part because I knew where he was taking that, but I I think there's some validity to that. You know, I, I, I think maybe there is this casualness that we can drift into toward God. Sometimes I'm in context where I'll hear people pray. I'm not in charge of anybody's prayer life, but it just kind of, you know, makes me shiver a little bit when I 
I hear this informality that's taken to an extreme of like, you know, hey God, what's up? How you doing today? You know, and I, I appreciate that what is driving that is a desire to recognize how God is approachable. God, God loves us and he is that father and he wants that intimate, close relationship. But I, I think maybe we can take that to an extreme where God just becomes a good old boy and nothing more than, than that. I think we're missing out on some of the otherworldliness of God when, we, when our prayers reflect that kind of, of flippancy. You, you see it in our society a lot, the way that the phrase, oh my God, is just thrown around so casually and without any meaning at all. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the very first commandments was to, to treat God's name even as holy and to not use it in vain, not to misuse it. I, I remember in graduate school doing some research and coming across some Jewish websites and looking at some articles and uh, quite often in those, in those uh, journals and publications, there would be a little um, kind of a warning or a notice that says, uh, be aware that this document that you have contains the divine name. And if you print this, be sure and dispose of it accordingly. In other words, this, this paper has the name of God on it. The, the very name of God is so holy that you wouldn't just take that and throw it up and uh, wad it up and throw it in the trash, according to that mindset. That actually, the proper thing to do was to bury that because out of respect for the name of God. Well, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but I, I just do see this very casualness and lack of respect that makes me think we could use a dose of the fear of God. But I would just hate to think that's where we left it. I think God would hate to think that's where we would leave it because what God most wants is a relationship of love. God wants us to be in awe, not just of His power and His majesty, but God wants us to be in awe of His love and really be overwhelmed with the fact that this God who is so far above us and, and so holy would want to be in a relationship with us. There's a, there's a surprising passage in Jeremiah that I think really brings this out. And we've heard so much of the sinners in the hands of an angry God uh, kind of language that this almost is surprising that it's in Jeremiah. Uh, in fact, it is preceded by a section where where God's talking about the city and what's going to happen and the Babylonians are going to come and you know they're going to just wipe everyone out. Uh, and so he's, he's done that, but he says, I want to come back to that for a moment. And so in, in Jeremiah 32, he says, now, I want to say something more about this city that he's just said is about to be destroyed. You have been saying it will fall to the king of Babylon through war, famine, and disease. He's been saying that because that's what God told him to say. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I will certainly bring my people back again from all the countries where I will scatter them in my fury. I will bring them back to this very city and let them live in peace and safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one purpose. And this is the purpose, to worship me forever for their own good and for the good of all their descendants. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good for them. 
I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me, and they will never leave me. I will find joy doing good for them and will faithfully and wholeheartedly replant them in this land. That's what God wanted to see drive the nation. That sense of awe at what God would do. I love what he said in verse 40, I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me. They see God's care. They, they would see God's love and that, that the goodness of God and all that He was going to do for them would put in them this desire to worship Him. And I, I think it is that desire that brings us here today. Uh, I don't know that many of us are here because we're afraid if we don't come to church, we're going to go to hell. And if we think that way, we need to talk some more, okay? Uh, because there's something else going on. I, you know, there, there, are, there are just there's so much going on in our world. Uh, there's so much going on in the world, the big picture world, but in our own worlds. And there's so much chaos at times, and there are so many challenges, and there are so many things that would drive us apart. You know, there, there are different political views and different views about social things, and there's you know, this, I mean, all sorts of things that would divide us, and all sorts of things that as we divide from each other would, would lead us away from God. But we're here today. We're, we're here as the church. And that's who the church is. It's all these people with different experiences, different backgrounds, and, and different preferences. But we're here today because there is in our hearts this desire to worship God. We just, we're here today because we just can't stay away. And not just worship in the sense of what we do here, but worship as a lifestyle. Worship that is driven by a God who loves us. And we stand in awe of that God. And where do we most see that love? It's in the cross. That, that's where we most see where this God who is so far beyond us would, would reach that far to call us His sons and daughters. So let's worship God in awe today. As we, as we think of His glory and His majesty and we think of what he did to so lovingly bring us into His presence. Let's worship Him with awe.